Hey there, Adam here. Thanks for tuning in. Just a quick message for business owners that may be struggling with what to post on their social media. We know that social media can either be integral to your overall marketing strategy or the bane of your entire existence. We have a 90-minute workshop where we provide a repeatable framework to plan out your monthly posting calendar with fresh, relevant, engaging posts designed to attract and segment new customers and clients. No more anxiety about what to post and when. No more settling for cat memes or other nonsense that may get you engagement, but no actual business or even worse, letting your social media lie dormant. I will teach you the exact process that we use at Digital Sandwich to plan out an entire month. Actually, more than that. Interested? Head over to eat.digitalsandwich.agency forward slash social workshop. And we're live. And that always happens so quick. And I, I, I'm always baffled how fast it goes. I, I think that it's going to take forever or something. I don't know why. Let me get, make sure my phone is shut off here. And uh, yeah. Yeah, make sure we're all good to go. Cool. And then get that thing away from me. <laughs> all right. Thanks for tuning in to the Secret Ingredient Podcast from Digital Sandwich, where we believe that everyone has a story behind the story, and that is where their secret ingredient lives. Unleashing that secret ingredient through a combination of personalized content, social media, and paid advertising is the best way to build relationships that you need to grow your business. Today, I am joined by Vic Ng, the founder and president of Viking Sales Consultants. He helps businesses of all sizes simplify and clarify their selling process and target only the best prospective customers. He is soon to be an author with his forthcoming book, Selling is Easy, If You Know the Rules. Vic has over 25 years of direct experience in the business world as a successful salesperson, leader, executive, and trainer. He has found success across several industries where he has been routinely recognized as a top sales performer. He's achieved all of this while constantly going against the status quo and dispelling the myths about what really makes a salesperson most effective. You can find him with his family or listening to his extensive collection of vinyls when he isn't helping folks dial in their sales process. Now, I love an unorthodox sales guy, unorthodox sales guy, because I just might be one also. Vic, welcome to the live cast. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Adam. I never, I like sandwiches. I've never had a digital sandwich, so this will be good. good. They're not terribly tasty, so that's that's <laughs> probably best that you don't uh, chow down on one. But they're made of bites, right? It's they are. Oh, uh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, take a bite out of your take a bite out of your marketing. And yeah. I do have. I'm on Front Street here, so I do have people walk in uh, probably weekly and, and ask for a menu. Um, you know, because I'm sort of sandwiched in between lots of eateries i'm, I'm excited there's a deli going to be opening up a couple doors down so they'll they'll actually have somewhere to go for sandwiches that's good you can just show them to the the exit and into the entrance next door <laughs> right right Vic, how long have we known each other we're, we're like our families have been friends for like 132 years or something yeah, you know, that that's really a special story. Um, I don't know exactly when I met you, probably about the time uh, that you, you know, your wife started bringing you around or, or before <laughs> right. you were even married. But, right. you know, the, the special part of that story is uh, your wife's parents, my wife's parents, 
you know, they all went to class in 1970, I think it is, uh, Cuyahoga yeah. Falls High School right here where we're at. And uh, those people just kind of, you know, hung out together for decades and all their kids grew up like cousins together. So really special. It's, yeah, it's really, that's one of the more remarkable things that, that I've noticed about the family and whatever, that they're, they are friends with the same people forever and ever and ever. And, and whenever we go anywhere, you know, there's, there's uh, never a shortage of weddings to go to. Right. Uh, there's, yeah, we were just, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So we, I've, we've known each other a long time. And then I, I don't know that I realized we were sort of in the same space at, at one point. I was a, a sales, uh, I don't know what I was, a, like a district sales manager or something for uh, a couple different telecom companies. And, and you've been in sales for uh, a long while uh, as well. And uh, I, I think it's kind of neat that we were able to kind of connect past professionally. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is great. You know, it's funny because that's a testament to relationships that we all have where, you know, it doesn't hurt to once in a while go, should we talk business? Is there something there that, you know, we can feed each other? Sandwich metaphor, feed each other. <laughs> but, uh, you Absolutely. Know, you just got to talk to people, find out. Well, you, you do, you do. And there's, uh, you know, just in, in some of the videos that you've been doing lately, I think that there's absolutely a connection there. Um, I, I like the idea of the, the whole, the, the unorthodox or how did, how do you put it? The, uh, against the status quo. Uh, I, I've kind of always kind of bucked at how sales has been taught and the standards that have been held. And it's just not that hard. Quit right. being so weird. It just doesn't need to be that way, but we'll, we'll get to that. I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on that um, shortly. The, the first question I've got to ask you though, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, when I say that, does that, does that resonate with you at all? Uh, I feel emotions of some kind. I, I wouldn't say <laughs> that I'm going to recommend that as required viewing for a salesperson until after they've done it for a while. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, please don't watch that. <laughs> don't that emulate was, it. Don't do it. No, <laughs> no, please don't do that. The, the, the days of that are over. I remember showing that to many, many folks in the break room, <laughs> that, the little clip. And I'm like, this is not what you do ever. <laughs> right. And, you know, I said uh, status quo, you know, in, in the bio and, and you've mentioned it, but there's also that stereotype of the sales yes. person. And sometimes they're one and the same thing. That's what Glenn Gary, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is about, is that stereotype. But I think a lot of people do embrace sales, especially from a leader perspective of, you know, what is it? No closers get coffee or whatever it is. Yeah, coffee's it, for closers. lotion when you close a deal. I don't know what. what <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, coffee's for closers. It gets yeah, the yeah. lotion. Well, we can do that too. <laughs> whatever. Unorthodox, yeah. Unorthodox. So you, you arrived here somehow, and I'm guessing that it was a culmination of of some milestones in your life. Can you kind of give me a brief overview of of your professional and even personal? Uh, how how did you get how did you get here? Owning your own company and 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 being a consultant in the in the sales space. So you know, I just realized looking at the calendar that. I think it'll be next week or, or 10 days or so that it's one year in business. Um, so I made it right. You know, oh, people ask, yeah. How, how's your business going? And I wish I could, you know, say it's thriving, 
but new businesses and even a lot of mature businesses are really just trying to survive. Um, yeah. You know, thriving is something else. Um, so that that's a milestone coming up. But, you know, what what led me to that as we kind of work backwards without going into too much detail is, you know, a lifetime in sales, which, you know, I hope I get the chance to share a little of how I got pushed into sales because I don't think that's an unusual story. I sold out of necessity, which probably resonates with a lot of business owners. They wish they didn't have to. I wish I never would have had to do this thing called sales, Uh, but I ended up having a knack for it. So uh, primarily a staffing industry, uh, but as a personal challenge, I made sure that I um, proved myself in a couple other industries. Um, So I left staffing at the top of my game twice and went back into it because, you know, relationships and opportunity. But I also sold promotional products and and more importantly, at that company, trained uh, franchise owners in the promotional products industry, which you really learn mm-hmm. a lot by, you know, teaching. Right. And um, the teacher promotional, that's tough. Yeah. That's a tough yeah. space. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's very competitive, which sales should be by definition. Mm-hmm. And also uh, restoration, which is a I, I thought was going to be, you know, that's helping people when they have fires and floods and tornadoes and hurricanes. I thought that was going to be a way to feed my soul, if you will, and help others. Um, that is not top of the list of priorities. It, right. it, it's a business, you know, right. so and, and that's OK. Um, but, you know, you don't go into, uh, well, I got all this records here. You know how many artists said I'm done with this recording business and dealing with these executives. I just want to rock and roll, man. So I wanted to rock and roll. But uh, so that's it. And, you know, I, I uh, have had some fancy titles through the years and a lot of sales success. But um, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up the story with um, when I had an opportunity and a lot of it was out of necessity to start my own business. It was a quality of life thing. I've been working for others, um, yeah. made some millionaires richer and made maybe some people millionaires. I'm not in it for the money, but, you know, I, I needed to make sure that if I was going to spend time doing something uh, that when I was done, I could go upstairs um, where my family would be. Right. And, and I don't mean any metaphorical upstairs. They're literally I mean, they, <laughs> they're, they're literally upstairs. They're upstairs yeah. <laughs> Well, you you know, you mentioned the quality of life piece, and I think that that's something that a lot of folks say that they're in it for, but then their actions don't don't speak to that at all. Can can you talk a little bit more about quality of life and 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 why that was? You know, because at the end of the day, a lot of people are in it for the money. You know, money buys stuff, and sometimes we have to do that. Why the why the quality? At what point did quality of life supersede? money? And how do you rationalize that? How do you make that work? So it's a great question and it's easy. And and I wish there was a link we could put for my book. That's been a whole struggle and a story uh, getting the book out, but it is coming dealing with publishers, kind of like the record business, I mm-hmm. guess. But uh, it's called selling is easy. And you, and you, I think that resonates with you. You've said it a few times. It's it not does. supposed to be complicated. Uh, but, you know, back to your question is, kind of the same answer of why I've always bucked the status quo and how to make sure that when you're an entrepreneur and a business owner, that you keep things simple and sane is saying no. It is amazing how many people in all facets of their life do not have the ability to say no. And you don't want to be a jerk face, right? To everyone. Uh, But it is possible to say no. And most importantly, 
to the kind of customers you work with. One of the rules, the book is selling is easy if you know the rules, 50 short essays. One of the rules is a simple one. In fact, they're all simple ones, right? Don't mm -hmm. do business with slime balls. And I tried to find a better word, but slime balls just kind of says it all. So there you go. If you encounter a slime ball and you are being asked by a slime ball to do business, I recommend saying no. That's how you keep things sane. And you don't do things out of desperation because how many plots of great movies and TV shows come out of a struggle a character has because they did something they knew they shouldn't have done. Maybe they broke the law, whatever. And it right. leads to trouble. Right. Right. Well, the, the hero's journey. Right. So, so there yeah. has to be there's very often some redemption that, that occurs because they did something dumb. Right. So, so don't do that. So it's not that difficult. No. And, you know, the reason I'm not thriving, I've had opportunities to do some business um, that, you know, they weren't slime balls, but I just didn't feel right. Hey, Vic, can you do this? Eh, I don't do that. I do this. Right. Well, yeah, don't hire me to eventually fire me. Right. It, that, that's it's just not a good fit. You know, people people get weird about saying no. I, I want to talk about that a little bit more. The the whole idea of it's okay to say no. And I think some people say yes because they think they're somehow doing a disservice by saying by saying no, like they're letting somebody down. But isn't it more kind to just be honest that no, this isn't a good fit for either of us? Yeah. Now, the example I gave the slime ball is an extreme example, because sure. in that case, if you're going to say no, it's a pretty clear cut no. But here's right. a very dangerous no is, Adam, you ask me something. Maybe it's as simple. Here it goes all the time. Hey, let's do lunch sometime. And maybe I'm not able to do lunch or, well, that's a bad example because I'll have lunch with you anytime. Digital sales, <laughs> right? But whatever, whatever it is, Here's what I'm getting at, and I think we can resonate. You may have it in your mind at that moment that I just agreed to buy you lunch next week, okay? Let's say you walk away from the conversation with that. I took it as, like a lot of people do, eh, you know, we'll talk about it and maybe we'll bump into each other again, okay? Well, had I said no, again, bad example, but bear with me, because um, I'm not saying no to you. Had I said it no or made it very clear or followed it up with, Okay, when would you like to have lunch? And you say, oh, I'm thinking next week. And I go, well, I'm really not going to be available for the next month. How about in September? Now we've gotten somewhere. So people do this, and I'll bring it into a real business example to make it more clear, is, hey, customer says to you, Can't, I, I know you're trying to sell me this. Could you do this? Here's what bad salespeople say all the time. We'll see what we can do. They should have uh. said no. Right. Because what's going to happen now? Somebody's going to go. So what do you do? Their boss comes to them. What are you doing with this? Well, I talked to the digital sandwich and he said he was going to you know, look into it. You should have said no. Now I'm making you you a bad person, Adam. You should have said no, because they're like, I think Adam's going to come through for me. And all the time when I would sell to people, I'd come along and they would say, you know, my biggest complaint with this company or what have you is they never got back to me. And a lot mm -hmm. of times I knew it was just one of those cursory I'll see what I can do. If we ever come across right. this, I'll let you know. Just say no. Just say it's a bad fit because what, what you've done is you've set, you've set horrible expectations by setting any expectations at all. The expectations are a, are a bad, bad thing that, that ends up going the wrong way a lot of times because I never agreed. You have something in your head that I never agreed to. And I don't know what's in your head. I didn't. And I don't know what's there. in your head. 
You put it there. So you have to have a conversation. And the best kind of conversations involve questions. Wouldn't you agree, Adam? I would. (laughs) And you hit the ball back and forth. I train people and I say salespeople, you know, don't if you're playing ping pong with somebody or tennis, you never grab the paddle and just hold it up and start talking for five minutes. That's bad sportsmanship. Instead, you hit the ball back, you know, and, and that's how you engage in a real conversation. We like having real conversations. What's, I mean, why spend the, you know, time is fairly short, right? Why in the world are we spending any time having conversations that aren't real, that aren't going to lead somewhere that aren't beneficial to either party? I just, I don't, I don't understand why, why we don't just have real conversations. I don't get it. And the other thing that smacks of is when somebody gives that, that, that no, that is kind of just gray area. No, it smacks of, do you even know what your company does and what it does best mm. and mm-hmm. who it's intended for? And that was something I spent a lot of time at the beginning on determining. And I, I had to shift gears and pivot at one point, but that happens and you want to keep it open, but you can't be everything to everybody. Right. So when somebody says, I'll look into it, I always wonder, do you even know what you do and what you do well? So if you're never, if you find yourself never saying no, you may need to refine your, your offer. Actually, you, you may not really know what it is that you're doing or offering. You're saying yes far too often. That's it. And, you know, I always use a phrase. I brought it from Alice in Wonderland. She goes down the rabbit hole, right? Yeah. And weird things happen. Don't go down rabbit holes. And right. I, I, I have to be cognizant of this because that's my nature. I'll dig into something stupid, lose an hour of my time and go, what am I doing? This serves yeah. no purpose. So you can also- I lost most of my 30s that way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah people yeah. lose decades. 20, 20s too, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and that's the other thing is if when you should have said no, and maybe, maybe you say, I'll look into it, and then you go back to the office and you do. Well, you should be spending that time if you really need new customers, calling up the people who you know you can truly- and hopefully you can you have passion and you know I can make a difference with this product or service that I offer, you know, if I could just talk to them. Well, focus on those people, not the ones right. you stumble into, you know, right. while you're out to lunch. Vic, you said something earlier, the, the whole you stumbled into sales by necessity or you were sort of forced into sales by necessity. Well, clearly just in the last 10 minutes, you've demonstrated an acumen and a passion for it. So what, why did you at first hesitate? What, what, was the, what was the hesitation or why did you balk? Why would you say that you were forced into it? So this takes me way back you know, to my 20s and being a very young person and that stereotype of the salesperson. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all met people who will say, as, certainly as a, a hiring sales manager as I've been, you'll get, oh no, the hands go up. Oh no, I can never do sales. Don't ask me to do sales. They're bucking against that stereotype, which is 1%, I hope, you know, right. the awful salespeople. And everybody can resonate with this, uh, that obnoxious salesperson who really is just trying to push something on you you don't want or need, right? Right. So that was my starting point. Uh, but when I transformed quickly into a salesperson was, it was a staffing agency. I'll just share the real real story real quick. I was hired uh, as a branch manager um, from retail. So store manager to branch manager of an agency. You know, I loved it. All of a sudden I'm working normal office hours and right, right. You know, different kind of customers instead of retail. So I was happy. Um, And what I realized was I was hired for an underperforming office that if I didn't turn it around was going to close. Okay. 
And that's okay. I'm up for the challenge. So they hired, they being the same people that hired me, hired a salesperson to start the same day. Um, long story short, you know, I'm in the office alone. I got the salesperson. I don't know what they do, but they didn't work out. A month later, they're gone and they're like, hey, we hired you. You're the manager. Figure it out. So Adam, I figured it out. And I figured it out by doing sales. And I also figured out real quick, sales was not what I thought it was. Again, it's not persuasion. So many selling systems focus on the power of persuasion and, and you know, all this different stuff. And there's validity in all of it. But it's really simple, right? Sales is easy if you know that. Selling is easy if you know the rules. It's really simple. Find out, know what you provide. Find out who can benefit best from that and then get after them. That's the starting point. So right. I did that and I was successful. And the first time I left the staffing industry, I was that selling branch manager, not a fan of that model. Most, much like the selling business owner. I tell business owners, hire a salesperson. Unless you want to be the salesperson, either hire an ops manager and you be sales, yeah, right. hire a sales manager and you be ops. But anyway, I left um, because I, you know, I wanted to try something new, but I also, that was the honest reason I was doing both and I didn't like it. Right. So I came back to that same company just a year and a half later as a 100% salesperson that never looked back. You, you were kind of just touching on EOS where, it, you yeah. know, so you got to put people in the right seat. You know, no, nobody started their bakery to do, to sell the cakes. Right. They started the bakery because they like making the cakes. Right. <laughs> not selling them. And that's okay. There's no, there's nothing wrong with you not having that acumen or desire to be out there beating the street as the, as the person that's doing the product or the service, right. Or the owner, there's, there's a difference. That's exactly it. And, and, you know, passion is what you're talking about. You're not going to have a successful business without passion and whatever it is you're doing. I thank you. You you saw my passion. Maybe it's just insanity, but we'll call it passion. (laughs) And you're passionate about what you do. And people who make cakes are passionate about making cakes. Right. Wife bought cookies from somebody for a new design she wanted. And it was funny because uh, the person's response was, Oh good. I get to buy those, you know, whatever shaped, cookie cutters that I've been wanting. I mean, that's somebody who loves what they do. They're not going to make money off that deal. They get to buy those cookie cutters. Now they can make those cookies. So you're right. right. They're not salespeople per se. They're lucky if they are. The, the other thing, the other thing that I've always thought interesting was you, you brought up the whole persuasion, uh, the, the whole, you know, selling via persuasion, et cetera. And I've never thought of it that way at all. Like I, I, I honestly, so I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm, I'm wrong, but I'll just say, I, I don't like that methodology of sales whatsoever. It can't, can't we just educate to a buying decision? If we found the right person that needs what you have and you have a solution for the problem that they're having, just educate them to the point that they can make a buying decision, turn it into a buying conversation instead of a selling conversation. It's just a lot nicer that way. That's it. You know, the best relationships that I've had, and that's really what, what they are once you, you know, close, if you will, a customer. Absolutely. Um, And by the way, the best selling systems don't even touch on closing because that's the persuasion part. You don't need it. So anyway, what's a a close? Why why do I need to close? Coffee is not for closers, Vic. (laughs) Hey, fine. No coffee. I drink tea. (laughs) The, the, The best relationships though, that I've built and the most longest lasting I walked out of those first meetings and, and it took me a decade or more, maybe forever to figure this out that, wow, I never really t- 
talked about features, benefits. Sometimes I didn't talk about what I do at all. They knew enough about what I could do. They saw the passion and I didn't oversell what I couldn't control. I released a, just a, a little video this morning about not overselling, mm -hmm. um, which is something that happens a lot. The more you open your mouth, the more you're going to dig a hole, right? So that's why podcasts, by the way, first podcast for me, I'm not a fan of podcasts. Maybe you'll make me a convert. It's because it's I'm a reader and I like to play music while I'm reading. Sure. Can't play music while podcast. But anyway, um, the fact is, you know, here I am talking so much. So we're going to dig some holes. But the best relationships I've had, they just know that we've connected. There's trust. I'm not building a relationship, by the way. I didn't take them to a bar. Right. We met in an office. We talked for an hour. Boom. I've had lifelong relationships from that um, that are still in place. Right. Just by understanding and asking the right questions about their business. You, you said something earlier. I, I've heard this explained. Are, are you a sports guy at all? Do you watch any, any sports? I know sports involves balls usually, so I call it sports ball. No. Does that, that yeah, they're, they're, they're sports balls. Yes. But go ahead and go with the sports ball story. Well, so, so when, when folks make the jump from like high school to college and then college to professional level, they, they talk about the game slowing down. And, and so what they mean is clearly the game doesn't slow down. It just your brain re receives the information and processes it quicker. As you're trying to figure out, you know, as the, as the fastball is coming in, the fastball is still coming in at 100 miles an hour. As you're hitting, hitting the hole as a running back in the opening, trying to find yardage, they, they didn't, nobody decided, oh, yeah, he's a rookie. Let's slow down and go 70% speed for him. That's not what they mean by the game slowing down. They just mean that you're actually processing it and, and your brain is seeing it slower now. When did that when did that happen for you? And I think you started to touch on it with you were about a decade in before this became easy. You know, there's a reason you put easy in the title of your book. And that's just not what people think. So when did it slow down? When did it become easy? When did that become obvious? So I accept your sports ball analogy. No, I'm so anyway, I'm just always up front because you know, in being in sales, right? I don't golf and I don't yeah. know sports. So I'm not supposed to be in sales, right? Did you see last night's game? I don't know. Why don't you tell me about it? And then they tell me about it, and I hear a great story, and I'm happy. But, uh, you know, I think what you're, call you're describing is what muscle memory, right? It's a way to call it. And, you know, humans can do two things that are amazing with their minds and their bodies, I believe. And one is you can train your body through training. By the way, sales, no different than being an athlete. Being marketing, no different than an athlete. Nurse, whatever career you're in. Yeah. Educator. So you train your body to respond to that. But but what your brain is doing, I think, and I'm a real nerd. I read way too much stuff. Your brain is looking for patterns. And with all of that, you're you're filtering through things and you're looking for what really matters. So it it might have taken me less than 10 years, but I just know that I felt like I still feel like I was floundering. I look back at a year ago and I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing. Who was that dumb kid? And I'll probably say that till I'm 100 years old, that 99-year-old kid I'm looking back at who doesn't know anything because we're always learning and we're never experts, right. right? So don't right. call me an expert. We're not experts. By the time we're done with this, I always say we're going to be really good at it. Right. So you, go ahead. Well, you, you brought up training, right? You know, the, the, the activity that you actually, you know, the, the first time uh, somebody tries to run or catch a ball isn't on Sunday during the game. Right. right. So the first time I try to talk through what my product is 
or or I go on a sales call, I should probably have done some of this before rather than, you know, we used to call it LARPing. Are, are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Live, yeah. live action role play. Yeah. <laughs> Just horrible. And and the the uh, the team would hate it. You know, the, the people in the stores and whatever, you know, but the sales team, they would absolutely hate it. They're like, really? This is so boring. And I'm like, why in the world do you want to do this for the first time in front of someone right. that's potentially a customer? Right. Why would you ever do that? That doesn't make sense. You wouldn't do it in sports. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. Why, why do you want to do it here where you make your living? Yeah. And and I, I don't know the answer to that, but I guess that's <laughs> why there's marketing, a need for marketing services and sales training, right? And, and consulting. Right. So we'll take that. But yeah, I mean, as you were saying that, I'm thinking of, you know, dozens of wonderful, naturally talented Oh, I should check that salespeople because I don't think it's probably <laughs> born with, but people who I knew could do it and did it, who would say, oh, I don't want to role play. I don't like role play. No, I'm not going to role play. And that's it. Exactly. Well, you either do this or you practice on your customer. So I would be gentle. I wouldn't force them to do something that's no fun because that's why people lose jobs. That's why people go home unhappy. Right. You're already you know, asking a lot of a person just to show up and hand their life over you know, to a business, right? So you have to be gentle with that, but that's a whole other topic. So, but to ask them to role play, I say, fine, how do you best learn? How are you going to learn it? Because you're not allowed in front of a customer until you figure this out. And they go and often do things. I'd say, you know, give them ideas, call yourself, leave, you leave yourself a hundred voicemails until you think you've got this, this down, right? Whatever it is we're talking about, but yeah, you have to practice. There's that, which book is it anyway? The 10,000 hours concept, which I think has been kind of debunked, but uh -huh. okay then it's a thousand hours or maybe it's a million hours. But until you put in whatever time it requires, there is no natural propensity for anything that is going to be more important than the training. Eric Clapton, right? I got music here. So we're going to bring a music thing in. Eric Clapton even said, and I mean, he's a great guitarist and probably by the age of 15, you know, he could outplay any, most people, but he'd been playing for 12 years probably. Um, we'll use a golf one. Uh, okay. See how dumb I am. I tried to do a pleasure. Uh, uh, a very clever sports ball. Who's the golfer? Really famous golfer. He started golf when he was like four years old. See how Tiger Tom Woods? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the guy was golfing when he was four years old, right? Right. So if you're telling me he was born a natural talent, then he should have waited until he was 20 to pick up the golf clubs. Wait, say that again? If it was just about natural talent, then he would not have had to pick up the golf clubs until he was 20 years old, because that's probably around the time that he was first out there having major success, whatever age it was. 16, but he picked them up 17, when he was yeah. four years old. Right. So yeah, training, training, training. You got to train your mind. You got to train your body. It's all one and the same. I think, I think you are somewhat born with some of it though. And, and not in the, not in the sense of, that I can go sell a car or sell this pen or whatever, but it's still the same muscle that you're using because we sell things every day. I think um, I wouldn't be married if I couldn't sell. That's great. I use that analogy a lot. I, 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 would, I mean, clearly I'm not handsome. So, you know, and I'm kind of a jerk face and, you know, not all that desirable, but somehow I was able to, <laughs> to, to sell myself uh you know 
Well, I uh, ask you this. Was there a time that you weren't able to do it as well as you think you did yesterday? Right. You know? Right. And, yeah. and I would look at all the, all the yes. people. Of I course. call it a propensity. I don't know if that's the right word, but you have a propensity to be this or this or that. And I believe that when you're five years old, you know, there was a famous quote, show me the, the man at five, age five, and I'll show you the man at age 50. And that's true. We are still the same kids we always were, but it's a muscle. Let's go with the muscle analogy. If you don't use it, it will atrophy and die, right? So it doesn't right. matter what you're born with. So it's a combination. But I think that, that you know, we live in a human-made society. Now we're getting really deep and philosophical here, Adam. Good. But, uh, but we live in a, human, a man-made society, a woman-made society, a human-made society, and everything is, is, you know, made for people. So there's probably lots of things that you could be good at. Um, it doesn't have to be just one thing that you're born for. Right. But if you don't try that, you know, and I tried forcing piano lessons on my kids and and soccer lessons and all the different things. And you do that to see what takes. Right. I think the practicing is actually what makes the connection between uh, personal and professional, because back to, I, I just believe that we sell all day long, but it's ideas. It's where do you want to go to dinner? It's aren't I fabulous? It's uh, I sell myself some BS every day. Right. right. I, I mean, you know, it, when somebody tells me that they can't sell, I'm like, well, what, when was the last time you went to a movie that you got your whole group of people to go with? Or you tell me you can't say that you can't sell. Well, what when was the last time you did something dumb? Because that's a hell of a sales job. Actually, you talk to yourself and do something you shouldn't have done. That's a sales job. So. That's so so getting your brain to understand that it's the same muscle, that it's the same concept of having a conversation about why they should buy a new roof is th that's the conflict. That's where they, they don't see the connection. So are they you don't see it at all. Me? Are you agreeing with me that pretty much anyone could be a salesperson? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And I'm with you, but you're born. Absolutely. Yeah, you're born with certain strengths, but none of that has anything to do with what you just talked about. Because again, selling is really not that complicated. There are born, it? you know, uh, P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute. And he was sure. probably the leader of persuasion and manipulation. And I know that, you know, politics, not to get political, but a lot that, of politics. That's a whole different style, though. They that's have not that, what you're that, talking about. That's not it at all. But that goes right. back to the stereotype of the salesperson. Oh, Adam, I could never do sales because, and I've heard this, I, I wouldn't want to lie to people. And I'm just amazed oh, that that's what some people think of. I feel so bad um, for whatever experiences they've had, you know, dealing with aluminum siding or a roof or buying a car, that that's their takeaway from that. So that's this is all why I started my business, to try to get companies to understand that, you know, anybody can sell. Although here's interesting. There, there are these pre-employment companies like the Culture Index and Predictive Index. Now, their data shows that there's only about 3 million Americans, just to deal with the United States, in the workforce right now, naturally wired for sales. And I put cheesy air quotes because that just gets under my skin. I'll tell Adam, the, you and the whole world right now, I've taken these tests and I've had these people look me in the eye and say, sales isn't for you. And it's so <laughs> funny because I just go, I haven't been fooling myself. I really have done it. Yeah. fine here. I've done right. it. They'll look me in the eye and say, well, according to this piece of paper, you're not wired for sales. So there's Isn't about, 50 that fascinating? People, about 50 million people doing sales in one way or another. To your point, we're all selling, but only 3 million naturally wired. 
maybe those three million are the ones we don't really want to buy from. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Or or we've defined sales in such a such a bastardized way that three million people really only are wired to do that persuasion sleazy. I mean, how are they defining sales? If they're defining it the way you are. Yeah. I think what it is, is there are people who, who things seem effortless, even without in the 10,000 hours, that is probably the 3 million. They're probably not the slime balls there. Those are probably the ones who don't even know what they're doing, but trust me, they're doing the same things that someone else could learn. And that's what I've tried to do, you know, through my career is I wasn't natural at it. I was self-taught, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it'd be like if I self-taught myself piano and then tried to come up with a method to teach others piano the way I learned. It might just work, right? That's what I'm trying to do here um, because I never subscribed. I've studied them all, but I've never subscribed to one of these selling systems because it's yeah. just not that complicated. It isn't. I want to, I want to, talk for just a second about it's come up a couple times just that stereotype of the of the sleazy sales guy i've got to share with you my my first true sales job was telecom was revel wireless if you remember revel yeah um i I actually really liked working at revel for the first couple of years because it it was a great deal at, at the time it was before everything was you know that was back in the day of anytime minutes and you know text messages weren't unlimited you only had you know 500 anytime minutes and texts were not texts and it was crazy. But I actually, I had left, I ran um, bars for a number of years. So I was in the, I was in the entertainment, uh, you know, bar restaurant industry for a long time in the Valley. And when I left that, my first sales job was rebel. And I had a guy get so mad at me. He told me, I thought, I thought you weren't like the rest of them. I thought you weren't a sleazy sales guy or whatever he said. I'm paraphrasing, but he called me a salesman. I was so mad. I go, I'm not a salesman. I'm a bartender that's doing sales. Right. <laughs> I'm so mad. I was so offended that he had said this to me. <laughs> well, you know, and I've had that too. I've had people say, customers that have bought for me that, oh, that guy is a salesperson. And I felt that same offended. But the fact is, I knew that I did things with integrity and they know it too. I think right. mostly they're just, they know they can tease the heck out of me and I'm not going to mind and we're going to laugh. Um, but yeah, that is the stereotype. And that is, it is offensive to be thought of as a salesperson. What I'm thinking of me as a sales guy, like that hurt my feelings. I'm like, here's this guy. I had, you know, gained this rapport with him. He was, he, he had bought a couple phones. was, you know, had service with us. And then he got mad about something on his bill. You didn't tell me that or Revel had to, had the, they always were changing stuff and upsetting people. And so he was mad at me because I was the representative at the time. He's like, you told me, oh, I'm so offended. So, and this is, you know, I know a lot of the people tuning in are business owners and and business people. And and I think this will resonate with them is the big challenges. So in that scenario, um, you know, we know what the bartender's job is um, and we don't call it sales, but like you've said, everything is sales to a degree. Right. Let's say you're going into, you know, or actually you were using the cell phone. That's perfect. If you go in there um, to a cell phone store, knowing you're going to walk out with a new cell phone, you expect to be sold to. So that's the frame of reference. Sure. And as I've trained sales teams, every time they pick up the phone or send an email, the person on the other end, and you can sugarcoat it all you want, knows you are trying to sell them something. 
So this has sometimes gone too far in the other direction where, and I've used it, consultant, right? You know, I would say, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a salesperson. I'm a, a staffing consultant or a cell phone right. consultant or beer administrator, whatever it is that you're doing. <laughs> right. Um, right. But the fact is, you know, it's okay to say that you are trying to sell something. Um, but here's the obnoxious sales thing that we all get, especially on LinkedIn. Adam, I checked out Digital Sandwich's website in your LinkedIn profile, and I know you'd be perfect for, you know, I told you about stopping a, a ping pong game by holding up the paddle and talking. Yep. You haven't yep. even started the game here. They're just walking in, holding the paddle up, hiding right. the paddles. Right. So, you know, the fact is you have to make sure that when you first engage that prospect, that they understand, you know, you are maybe trying to sell them something, but first and foremost, and you got to get this out as part of your elevator speech, if you will, is, and, and it's as easy as this, Adam, what we do at Digital Sandwich is maybe not for everyone, but for those that it works for, they're happy they met me. And then you go into your little speech, you know, right. let them know that. And what does it go back to? You're prepared to say no right. if it's not a good match instead of, well, that's not really what we do, but okay. Let's do this. That's just money grubbing and desperation. The the worst slash best advice I ever got was back at, again, Revel. And it, it was the worst because he's dead wrong. Um, but it was the best because it actually sort of was true. And it was, if you act like you don't care, they tend to buy. And I'm like, well, I think that's wrong. I don't think that it's that you're acting like you don't care. What you're saying with your body language is that you aren't desperate and that and that you're not going, that you're prepared to say, no, this isn't a good fit. That's really what that is. And that allows a truthful interaction to occur. It's not that you don't care and they'll buy. That's not exactly true. But it is sort of the same body language. Yeah, no, and you're right. And actually, I would do that when I got really into my sales career and was having great success, I know that there was a period of time where I probably, you know, it got into my head, right? Oh, I'm, I'm great at this. And you can't do that. It, it, you got to be humble and understand that there's still so much to learn because most importantly, don't forget, I mean, what have we learned this year? Everything around us is changing constantly beyond our control. Constantly. So you right. can't ever, a, a rolling stone gathers no moss, the rolling stones. So you got to keep <laughs> moving and changing. Um, but, uh, I would go in and do a little Zen trick before appointments when I realized that I was starting to get uh, a little, you know, pompous, if you will. And I would tell myself, okay, Vic, I don't care if this works at all. If they buy from me, what is important is that I connect with them and I ask the right questions and I understand what they, who they are and, and make sure that they know I care. And I would literally tell myself that, and you do that. It takes 66 days. Some people say to build a habit. So two months of that, and again, I haven't looked back. I always do that. I really don't care if somebody buys from me. And I know that don't care, you know, we're saying it the same way. Yeah. But yeah. the fact is, I just want them to know, um, you know, what it is I could do. But more importantly, I want to know what it is they need and make sure constantly that it fits with what I feel like I can do for them. Because we, you mentioned expectations. And if they have the wrong expectations, you're only going to fail. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way to win. Yeah. You've you've already lost if the expectations. Well, well, you've defined the rules incorrectly. If the expectations aren't aligned, we don't have. We're, we're playing a game that we have no rules to. 
or we're playing different, we're playing the same game, different rules. You've already lost. There's no, it's just impossible to win. And one of the rules in my book is, is if someone does say yes, and that's what we want, make sure you understand what they're saying yes to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole chapter right, right there. Right. Think, well, it's all about expectations. And right. it sales people, the cliche, the stereotype, uh, the status quo, just get them to say yes, get your foot in the door, all that stuff. I hate that. Get your foot in the door. What does that mean? They need me to offer a whole bunch of value-added services. I'm not going to get my foot in the door. Now, I, I, I've always thought that that's sort of a weird thing to say. The, the the other thing that you just that you just touched on with the whole going into it, I'm I'm prepared for them to say no. I just want to have a good conversation. I, I just want to have. I just want to build trust and build a relationship. I think what that what is actually occurring then is you're shifting the sale to the byproduct of the interaction. So the sale, rather than the intended, rather than the intention, now becomes the byproduct of good activity, good proper activity and interaction. And when we do that, it changes how we interact. Yeah. Well, Adam, it, it just I, changes I like how we interact. And you know, can can you learn how to close? Or is it easier, Adam, to learn a set of behaviors and activities? A set of behaviors and activities. Not to mention it's going to be a whole lot more natural than doing the Mickey Mouse or the reduction to the ridiculous. Exactly. And again, now, but in, in you know, every, every, I, 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 it's not a sales system that I've developed. It's just simple rules like we've talked about, rules of thumb and that sort of thing. But I do have a little framework behind it. And it really, I, I hesitated to offer this because then it starts sounding like a selling system. But bear with me. I have no, three, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I have please. three Fs. And this is like the precursor to anything you do. And we already kind of hit on it. Focus, funnel, foundation. And that's how I help businesses analyze their sales process. And the focus is simple. I already said it. Do you really know what your company can best provide? If it's a product, what does it do? How does it change somebody's life or business? And if it's a service, same thing. And, and what is it you do? Okay. And who best benefits from it. That's focus. And you can spend a whole day tweaking that because a lot of the industries I've been in, they love to say, oh, we do any kind of dot, dot, dot. Well, okay. But guess what's going to happen? You have a bunch of people out there you've disappointed because they've said, you've said, I can do anything. Okay. Find me there. Yeah. They're still waiting on you. Right. Could the waters be any muddier when you, when you position that. The message is terrible. So funnel, and I know that there's like sales circles now, but the funnel concept is simple, right? It's big. Starts up here. You have every possible company in the universe. And down here are the ones you're working with right now. That's it. So the funnel is how do you decide and move a company down the funnel? And this is important because everybody has customers they've brought in. And it's funny because they don't seek to replicate what worked. So they're making up the rules every time. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of sports analogies here, right? If you if right. you know what play, it's a play. That's what yeah. football people do. If you have a play that works, at least until, you know, the opposing team figures out your plays, you're going to do that and you're going to replicate it and you're going to train for it and repeat it over and over again. So that's the funnel concept. And the main thing, the takeaway is, again, it's like this. At the very top is probably every company yeah. in, in the U.S., you gotta. You, you don't sell to them. You sell. Those are suspects. I call them. 
the next level down are the prospects. Those are the ones who need and want your product. So that right there. So focus, funnel, and then the last thing's foundation. And I have a lot of companies that I'll go to, to train with and help who have the focus and funnel figured out. But the foundation are the tools. Are your salespeople pricing business wrong? Then guess what? Watch what I'm going to do here. I'm going to take two words and put them together. They need a pricing tool. How is that for simple? Let's make right. a pricing tool. You know, right. And you can do that for anything. Um, right. An appointment guide. How's that for a novel concept? So many people just bring a blank piece of paper. What questions are you going to ask? How many times have you walked out of a meeting? Adam, I'll ask you. How many times have you walked out of a sales appointment in your whole career or sales meeting and said, ah, I should have asked that. I should have asked that. Right. Write it down. Yeah. So. So that's, that leads, I love, I love the three Fs. That's great, great stuff. I have a question about the, the foundation, I, I guess. So when, when we talk about a sales process, um, sounds like part of what you do is help companies not just clarify it, but document it, have a documented actual sales process. So how do you feel about scripts, documentation? Does that lose the personality? No, I love scripts. I mean, preparing is important. Winging it is, is not good. Um, you need to prepare for things. It goes back to the training, right? And like you said, you wouldn't practice Monday night football. Okay. There's your first time you're playing on a Monday night in front of a 50 million people or whatever. So yeah, you, you have to prepare and a script is what does that. Now the beauty of a script is it's really short and it's built around keywords and you don't memorize it. You know, we've all had that kind of bad sales where they, you know, it's usually door to door, right? No, no, no. Hi, I'm going from door to door today and I am doing, okay, whatever. Right. And that's cute. And if it's a little kid, you'll buy the cookies, right? But it's not cute when it's a 40-year-old professional who, not to bring age into it, but, you know, who, who is trying to sell you right. something and trying to say that they have decades of experience and their product's the best, but they're just reading off a script. But no, you right. have to practice the, the script because, again, if it works, just getting their attention, right? Mar you're yeah. in marketing. Isn't that what people come to you for? How do I make attention. people aware, right? Yep. Well, now, is my script the same as yours? What do you mean? What's your script? Well, so if if you and I are both salespeople for company oh. XYZ, are, are our scripts going to be the same, similar, or are they going to be the same? Nope, nope. And I have run so many script writing sessions, when mostly when I was a sales manager. And yeah. what would happen is I, I convinced my team, um, you know, through demonstrating success with a script. I never, I don't like, there's a term I use, the cram down. Cram downs don't work. That's you saying you're going to do things this way or my way. Right, right. Yeah, and as time works. goes on, you had Emily on before the entrepreneurs, entrepreneur. Is that what it was? Entrepreneur. Yeah. The school system. And she's right. Another 10 years, 20 years, everybody's going to be working for themselves. So if you want a clear house right now of all the employees you have working for you, cram down lots of stuff because they're just going to go work for themselves or go work for somebody else. So anyway, yeah. I would never cram it down, but we would have script writing sessions and they were always one-on-one. -on -one. If we did things as a group, we would then, you know, take it offline. But in an hour's time, I would just, this is how my analogy for everything, you just open up their head, you scoop out the brains, you slap them on the table and you pick through it. And that's what we would do through brainstorming. Good old whiteboard. Man, those are best for brainstorming. And there's no wrong answers when you're brainstorming. Just get it up there. Now, what do you like? Pick your favorite three. Let's string them together in a pretty way. Me talk pretty, said David Sedaris. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, you make it sound pretty, but you don't have to memorize it. And no, to answer your question, then nobody's script is the same. And then I had some who'd come back to me a month later. I'm tired of that script. They're in their own head. If it's working, yeah. who cares? But that's okay. And we'd come up with a new script. But I had some salespeople would use the same script for years. Right. Hey, I have a question for you, Adam, of Digital uh, Sane. Uh-oh. So you've dabbled in sales and you do sales and you're of the opinion that we all are salespeople. So mm -hmm. think back to your early, early, early childhood. What was your real first selling experience? Not your first sales job. When did you first sell? Wow, that's a great question. Do you do you ask that when you're doing training with stuff to get them to kind of no. roll back in their head? You should because that's that, off the top of my head. That's fresh and that's all yours, Adam. And the and uh, the people, whatever zero people are listening in. I don't know anybody out we've there. Said, yeah, we've got a couple. We've had a, okay. we had the Falls Chambers said hello and Tony Malorny said hi. Oh, Tony and Laura, I, I love those people. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've had some folks on. Um, and then a lot of people catch it during the replay as hey, well. Hey, can I so say something real quick? Cool. If Tony's Please. there, Tony, it's funny because I ran into him the day after I started my business and he's such a smart guy. Anybody who knows Tony, you can't say enough great things about him as a professional and as a human. But as a professional, he literally asked me for my elevator speech, like the morning I started my business. That doesn't and surprise me at all. When I fumbled it though, he said, and Tony, I love you for this. He said, let me know when you figure it out. Because he knew I, I didn't know yet. He didn't let me get away with that. So anyway, you got to answer the question, Adam. When did you first sell? When did I first sell? I mean, it, uh, man, I, I would think, you know, it's got to be, it would have to be something, again, I'm going to go personal on that. It was, you know, getting grandma to make noodles. It was, you know, getting dad to let us go fishing. Um, when, when we weren't going to, when that wasn't the plan, we had a, we had a farm that was about 20 minutes away from our house and we would be there almost every day. And then on the weekends there pretty much constantly, my grandmother lived on the farm and whatever. And it was always a big deal on the way home. If you could get dad to stop at the carry out and either get an ice cream cone or a soda, that was a big deal. So to me, that's, that's selling. I mean, it's just. Hey, let me see what I can let me see what I can get you to do. <laughs> well, and, and, and you know, I was thinking that, but it wasn't all about you, right? I mean, as a kid, we are pretty selfish, but I'm sure that you were able to put that in terms of a real value proposition, even if it was I'll stop throwing a temper tantrum. Well, right, yeah. We should, you know, think think about if we all sold like children do. They really can come up with some amazing scripts, right? Well, right. if we do my granddaughter does this to me all the time. It, where she'll she'll come up with, do you really, I always call her my little buddy. And she goes, well, do you really want your little buddy to be upset? Don't you want your little buddy to have a good Saturday? Don't you want, <laughs> you know, she turns it completely on the benefit for me that clearly is not that big of a benefit. Um, but nice try, little, little shit. Is it? So, you know, all, <laughs> all people, maybe really everyone from an early age, again, I'm thinking it's fresh on my mind because I, practiced for this podcast by watching yours that you did with Emily. Oh, and didn't she yeah. say that, and both of you agreed that children are entrepreneurs, right? I think you they, said. They, absolutely. They are. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that it's the, uh, I think that it's actually a, a more natural state than being an employee. Yeah. I, I think that we teach people to be employees. Right. I think that their I'm normal excited. state is entrepreneurs. I'm excited. It was, 
it's probably been 20 years now. Was it Daniel Pink or one of those thinkers wrote the the gig economy or what was it he wrote? Free Agent Nation. Maybe that's the book. Was okay. the first time that I had that concept. And that's the reality. I mean, somebody, he looked into the future because, yeah, that is what is happening. And I think everybody is going to be able to self-actualize, as they say, uh, early and not have to have all that beat out of us, right? Right. <laughs> as from an well, early age. If, if you think about it, I mean, years, I mean, go back to like frontier times or whatever, people really didn't work for other people. They, it was not until the industrial revolution that that really became a thing. And it, and that coincidentally is when um, modern education was brought here because right. we needed to train people. Well, the word kindergarten means child garden. It's a, yeah, it's a German where it comes from how they train soldiers in Prussia, I guess. Do what you're, do what you're told, beat it out of you. Well, you yeah. know, I think I, I'm an optimist and I look to the future and I think that it's, it's going to be wonderful. Now, your example of the pioneers, a lot of those were living independent lives and they went to town mm -hmm. once a month. The fact right. is, we're a society and we all have to cooperate in an amazing way. And that's a tough dynamic. I mean, right. this is crazy. I told you I read too much. But it was only when cities first formed. So what are we talking? Mesopotamia three, four thousand years ago was the first time when humans did not immediately kill another human they didn't know upon contact. Think about it. It used to be if you encountered another human, well, it wasn't part of your tribe, somebody needed to die. That's horrible, but that's the truth. So we're still getting we're still getting used to that concept <laughs> of living in the city, and we all do it. A, a Facebook yeah. driver in a car, horrible. Oh, yeah, it's my buddy. Hi, how you doing? I mean, we're wired that way. So anyway, I went into a weird place there. We'll just move on. <laughs> you've uh, you've brought up a couple of books. Tell me tell me about some that have had an impact on you. Well, in, in strictly uh, sales perspectives, there's one called The Challenger Sale, two authors whose name I can't recall. Um, that's great because back to our ongoing theme of the stereotype and the status yeah. quo. So there's, there's an idea of, we all hear this, get out there and network. Networking is important. So don't take any of what I say as not being something to do as part of a, a well-balanced breakfast, as they used to say in the old Serial ads. You know, you want to do everything. In fact, I've identified there's seven. That's seven. Where's it at? Seven different ways to make contact with a prospect. And, you know, marketing and and uh, networking is only one of them. But anyway, what do you hear? Just go to lunch. Don't eat alone, I think, is the name of a book. Never have lunch alone. Yeah. You know, so and there and again, there's validity in that. But a lot of people think, well, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to go golf all day and I'm just going to network, network, network. Well, you're missing a lot of the opportunities because you're going to get the other people who are networking. And my experience is some of the best customers out there um, have business owners and management who it may not be right, but they're working 60 hours a week. You're not going to find them out to lunch. You know, right. so that kind of networking is only going to get you to a group of people. And back to the seven ways real quick, you know, phone and email are very common, but Pulling on a door, I'm amazed at how I will try to reach a, a prospect for months, and then I go there one day, and there they are, and they're the nicest person in the world, you know. Hmm. So on email, you may get no, not interested. Right. You got to balance all of that. So well, they're, um, they're losing some context by by not having you in your face and and whatever. I do a lot of I do a lot of video in email, um, so that I can. I'm pretty you know, flamboyant, I suppose. That well, dynamic, whatever you whatever. do, my point is you can't do just that. And, well, you know, right. 
the seven different ways because each person is going to respond differently. I'll respond to an email. Now I work from home, so don't come to my house because we're never doing that's, business if that happens. That's weird. Yeah, yeah that's, that's weird. Right. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, the book, the Challenger Sale, basically says, hey, hiring managers and business owners, stop looking for people who completely are wired from a relationship perspective. Instead, look for that person that is a little more analytical and a little more, uh, you know, going to look at themselves and say, what is it I need to do and focus on the right activities. So I'm probably butchering what the authors intended, but that was my takeaway. Um, that's a great book right there. And another good one for businesses in general is the pumpkin plan um, where the ah, idea, you read that? That's Mike Marco. Exactly. He, he's yeah, a something. author originally sold off a couple companies. So, you know, and then started writing, but you want to grow a big pumpkin. You got to trim the resources, which what resonated yeah. with me was that no, you can't spread yourself too right. thin. Now I will put a caveat that a lot of the goal of that book, I think was to build a business to sell off. If you want a business that's going to keep lasting, you need to have a diverse portfolio of customers. Again, very timely message for 2020, right? If you had all right. your eggs in one basket, you're in trouble right now. So you got to balance the pumpkin with growing a prize pumpkin, but maybe growing five prize pumpkins. Right. Well, right. additional streams and, and diversity, right? No, there's uh, I, I love your seven things. It, it feeds directly into the idea of digital sandwich, that it's not just about the ingredients. It's about the assembly of them. You can't just have salami and call it a sandwich. So you can't just network and say that that's your only only way of uh, finding leads and sales. Doesn't make any sense. You've got to do other things and do well, them together. Yeah, and we've all had tasty, like I'll take an Italian sub, right? Um, yeah. It's gonna have pretty similar ingredients from place to place, but it'll taste wildly different based on how they assemble those and in what right. portion and where they get the ingredients from. So absolutely. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, what I, I love the, the I love the seven things. You know, what came first, the digital sandwich or the real sandwich in Adam's life? Well, I've had many an analog sandwich. No, is that, is that what it is? Analog. Okay. Yeah. An analog sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, in your experience, do you find that who needs more training, the sales managers or the sales people? Wow. You know, it's so funny because <laughs> I'm trying, as I look for patterns, right? This yeah. is a pattern that keeps hitting me in the face. And I'm, I, I have to make sure that I don't just make assumptions. Um, and what I'm getting at is, there are a lot of the clients I'll meet with the owner, for example, it's usually mid-sized companies, you know, so I'm meeting with a principal of the company and I'll meet with the owner and then they'll introduce me to the sales manager. And it's that sales manager, which explains so much of the issues that companies may be having. This is not an exception. If any of my customers are watching this, just know you're, you're not one of the ones I'm talking about. It's the other ones that I did. It's the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> but the sales managers, um, often need a lot of training. And, you know, I, I can talk all day about a lot of subjects, but sales managers is definitely one of them. And the biggest mistake is don't take your top sales performer and turn them into a sales manager. Okay. Oh, yes. They should be a, a mentor. Do you agree with a, that? It's a different acumen. Absolutely. It's not the Otherwise, same. Otherwise, Michael Jordan would be the most successful basketball coach ever, and he's not. 
It doesn't work that way. Oh, no, it's a different acumen. Now, what you can do and what I've tried to do is, is, you know, I talked about the selling branch manager concept of small agencies and businesses. Not a fan of that, but there is nothing wrong with having a salesperson who is a extraordinary be responsible for selling because if you take that away from them, they're not going to want to work there anymore. Have them sell, but also have them cultivate and develop and mentor a team. I talked about the script writing sessions. I love doing that stuff. But you can bet that I only spent two or three hours a week with the rest of the team. And instead, I was just, they were shadowing me, right? That was the training. And then I was giving them the resources they needed and saying, my door's always open, but go do it. So, um, yeah, don't don't do that. But but, uh, the sales managers, so to answer your original question, um, that is often the trickiest thing. And they're the ones that are in need of a lot of training. Salespeople need it too. It's different though. So they both need it, but very different. Sometimes a sales manager just needs to go back to being a salesperson or go right. start their own company if that's where their income level's taking them. Well, very often they were put in that position because they were a great salesperson, which is going to have one kind of strange thing that, that happens. They were probably motivated solely by money. Yeah. And so they assume everybody else is motivated by money. And so they have a leadership problem. There's a leadership issue because they don't know how to motivate a team except for one way. And it's generally the wrong way. And that's a lot of that third F foundation gets into commission programs. Because if your salesperson is continuing to bring in value to the business, um, I'm not saying have no ceiling, but you don't you don't limit what they can earn or require them. Oh, we only pay sales managers this amount, not salespeople. If you have a happy salesperson, you get it. You're nodding your head. You know, let them make half a million dollars a year, you know, if if the company can afford it. And if all they're going to do is sell. Now, you know, I always quote this old Janet Jackson song from 1986, what have you done for me lately? And it's very relevant. So you have to make sure you don't get somebody who's just sitting on those commissions and you do that in various ways, too. This is all foundational tools. Right. You know, maybe they expire or become house accounts, so they have to keep selling more. Whatever. But make sure your top earners don't have to become a sales manager to move up in the in the business or do better. That's a great, great point. I mean, it's that's a great point. So a, a commission structure should incent desired behavior, right? Absolutely. And it should also be a function of sales. So it shouldn't matter how much they sell because the company should be deriving the benefit of it as well. So uh, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of- Why move your great salespeople into sales management position as as an advancement or as a promotion? It shouldn't be. And I've I've interviewed salespeople for entry-level sales. And I'll say, you know, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? No, I'm kidding. I never say that. I would say- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, just kind of what's your long-term goals? I would try to not to make it a cheesy question. The, where do you see yourself in five years? But if I got them saying things like, I remember one person said, I want your job. And of course, first I was like, what is my job? First of all, what do you think it is? And why do you want it? And they saw me not as a salesperson, but as a sales executive, which I wasn't. I always made mm-hmm. sure that 90% of my time was still doing sales. I was their mentor. But anyway, I learned that this person was probably not going into sales for the right reason. And they weren't going to work out at my company because they just wanted to use that as a way to move up in the company. 
And, you know, so I referred them over to something more in an operational role. Why are you in sales? Right. You got to ask yourself that. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. It, well, it, it's so often it's, are you, are you in the right seat? Are you on the right bus? Are you in the right seat? Right person, right we, seat. All yeah. need to be asking ourselves that. And, and, and I don't know that that evaluation ever stops. I, I think you no. should, in perpetuity, you should be, you should be evaluating. Am I in the right seat? Am I on the right bus? Well, rule number 50, Adam, in my book, and, uh, you know, I'm so excited. I can't wait to read my own book. But anyway, rule 50. <laughs> I'm excited to read your book, too. When it's time to move on, move on. That's move rule on. number 50. And that's what it is, is people change the right person, right seat concept, whatever it is. But and there's times that companies have to make the tough choice. You know, um, I always believe hire slowly, fire quickly. But that doesn't mean fire somebody who's been around for 20 years. Um, you know, there's issues. If they can do it in their 19th year, they can do it in their 20th. You can work through that. But if you hire a salesperson very slowly and you should, for example, salesperson, and then two weeks in, you're seeing real red flags, you just cut your losses. You need to let that go because assuming it's a right person issue, right? If it's just the right, mm -hmm. thing, keep moving. And that's why culture is such a, I mean, why did it take us decades to realize that we should be hiring to culture? and not right. based on what we see on a resume. So why did it take us an hour to talk about culture? That's my fault. There you go. Culture, culture's probably number one, right? Like that's so important. I like to think it was a theme and undercurrent through everything we've talked about. <laughs> There's the water. We'll go with that. I like the way you think, Vic. <laughs> hey, before, before I forget, because um, I, I got a couple more questions and then, and then we'll bring it in for a landing. But before I forget the book, when when do you think that's coming out and how how are people going to be able to find it? I'm going to let you know and and you will let all of your loyal podcast listeners know. Yes. And maybe we'll give away some free copies, you know, so we can really get it oh, out. That'd be fun. Uh, I don't know, only because um I I I wrote it 10 years ago. I road tested it because I knew that I didn't have the proper platform working for somebody else, right? That was part of starting a new business is mm -hmm. to have the platform to be able to promote it. And I don't expect it to be a bestseller, but it, it's just kind of the basis of the ideas. You work with me. This is how you're going to understand where I'm coming from. And it'll be useful. But um, I tried to find publishers. And then I finally just said, I'm just going to self-publish it. But just when I was ready to do that, I hired an editor and everything. Now I have interest from an agent and two publishers. But I don't know if I have wow. the patience to drag this out again, because, you know, it's like a, well, we'll publish in 2022. So I, I'm making some tough decisions trying wow, to decide. That's crazy. So I don't know when it's going to come out. Um, but you know, I, I, I got to make sure that it has legs when it does and you can't do anything alone. That's a theme underneath everything we're talking about. You can't do anything alone. Right. So no, that's, that's very exciting, man. That's, that's very cool. I'm looking forward to it coming out, but what, it, yeah, get it out sooner than later. I will do what you said. Thank you. That's a great. No, no, that's <laughs> what I, wisdom? Yeah, I I exude and I just drip wisdom. It's it's amazing. <laughs> I <laughs> I I am a treasure to all all around me. So I know we're running low on time. Can I ask you one more question though? Sure. So, did you when you started your own business? Did you have an escape plan? A plan B? Burn the ships, Vic. Good. I wanted to hear that because I, I felt the same way. There is no plan B. If my wife is listening or sees this, sorry, we may have to sell the children at some point. If my kids are listening. 
your new parents will probably be very no anyway there is no escape plan which means it, it's all going to work so i think that's yeah. important for entrepreneurs to remember I, I think that it is too. I mean, you know, this is like the third iteration of the agency and I know a whole lot more now than I did then. Um, I also have skills that I'll be fine and I'm going to make this work. So plan B, no. Do I know that I'll be okay no matter what? Yep. Good. I, I think that's great. When, you know, when I first started my business, I had somebody reach out to me and want to do lunch and I realized pretty quickly into the lunch that, all they wanted to talk about was, you know, how did I do this? And I was just like, what do you mean? How did I do it? I, I just did it. I have passion and yeah. there's no turning back. And if you want to do it, which is what the point of lunch was, you know, I'm like, I can't give you the courage to do it. And if you're waiting for a business plan to come along or be written for you or what, you just got to do it. Right. I mean, people are conditioned to look for permission slips. That was one of the things that we, we would always talk about in, in manager sales meetings and team meetings was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write you the permission slip. Do, do it. Do the thing. Fail. Make mistakes. Do, do, every, do it. Just do it. Here is your permission slip. What are you waiting on? Don't wait on the magic bullet. Don't wait on the magic pill. Don't wait on if, – if you are passionate – and there, if acumen and passion have intersected at a point that you actually believe that you're capable of doing this, at some point you're going to have to jump, as Steve Harvey would say. You're going to have to jump. You've got to do it. There is no perfect timing. There is no – and it's probably going to suck and it's going to be a little bit painful. But I'm pretty sure that most things worth it uh, were preceded by a little bit of pain. Yep. Yep. No pain, no gain. There you go. <laughs> That's almost a sports ball. Athletic, physic, physical thing. Sports there. ball. I try. <laughs> I try. <laughs> so, uh, Vic, who, who is your ideal client? And uh, when, at what point should they engage you? When they're failing miserably and they need a, a life raft? No. So, <laughs> you know, and, and there's really two two things clients should look for. So if you're a business owner um, or responsible for the growth of a business in any way, and that growth is stalling, I guarantee you growth is almost always, if not always a sales problem. And from what we talked about, sales problems have easy fixes usually. So that's the consulting side. And from a sales training perspective, same thing. You know, if you have the right person and you, know, you believe they're in the right seat, um, everybody's winging it in sales. So maybe there's just a few tricks of the trade. Maybe it's a funnel foundation, maybe not the focus, but they need help on understanding how to replicate the success you had before with clients, or maybe they just need foundational tools. Um, that's the sales training. So it doesn't matter what industry, but you know, it's, it's somebody that I can engage with one-to-one. -one. I don't know if this really works with a team of 500 sales people. Okay. Okay. So. Cool. Well, we'll make sure all your infos in the in the show notes and whatever. If anybody wants to reach out to to Vic and get uh, get some help and get your sales fixed, uh, well, because you're probably not very good at it. I'm Vic awful is. at what I do, but I've got a lot of passion. <laughs> that makes up for it. Passion <laughs> outworks all the time, right? Isn't there something about that? Hard work outworks. I don't know. I can't remember something like that. 
Um, all right. I, I like to end the podcast with five rapid questions. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Brussels sprouts, yay or nay? Um, you know, it's funny because I mix up my vegetables. Which ones are those? Those aren't the long ones. What are the long ones? Um, Brussels sprouts. Are, they're little things. I'm they're like little cabbages or something. I it, Clearly, we have an issue here. No. Yeah, I, I'm going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even picture them. Ham and pineapple on a pizza. Is that okay? Oh, sure. But we're not going to call that a pizza. Is it, we got to call it a flatbread. Yeah, call it a flatbread. <laughs> call it trash. No, I didn't say that. It, it no, we can still eat it. You just can't call it a pizza. Well, that's not pizza. If you're going for pizza night, you got to go New York style or deep dish. Yeah, right. You're a bit of a foodie, too. I, I like food. Yeah, I do. me too. Mountains or the beach? Wow. You know, so for the sake of family, we're going to the beach, but just know that secretly um, I want to avoid the sun and I would definitely trade uh, mosquitoes for sunlight any day. So <laughs> mountains, but we're going to the beach because that's where the family wants to go. <laughs> right on. Zeppelin or the Beatles? I had mm. to throw a music question in. Yeah, that's a good one. And, and you know, I know you're not going to let me just say all of them, and that would be lame. So I will double down on one choice, and it's the Beatles. I think that, you know, modern popular rock and roll music all rejuvenated from there. They had predecessors, and Led Zeppelin came from a different, you know, school, the blues before that. And they're all great, both great, but I'm going with the Beatles. Right on. I'll make Don't sure that... Man. I'll make sure I cut it before uh, T listens to that part. She might, <laughs> she might be upset. <laughs> and what's your favorite sandwich? Oh, wow. You know what? I'm going to go with, uh, I forget what the exact number is at Dave's Cosmic Subs. Great <laughs> sub place. Yeah. Perfect bread, good, good ingredients, a wonderful special sauce. Um, but there's one that's got some hot peppers on it. So whatever that number is at Dave's Cosmic Subs, that's the beautiful sandwich. It's the so, sandwich with hot peppers on it. Yeah, you'll know it when you see it. It's, okay. it's nothing too weird. It's not meatball. It's not ham and pineapple, but it's, <laughs> it's a good old sub, but it's got some spice on it. Awesome. Vic, thanks for being on today. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. And I hope out of all this hour and 17 minutes, you can find maybe 10 seconds worth sharing with the world. And, you know, if anybody no, made it this long, wow. Thank you. No, there's some really good nuggets in here. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get that chopped up and, and lots to share on social media. And yeah, that's why doing these are a lot of fun. I, I get to, you know, I've always been lucky. I've always had really cool people, sort of inadvertently shared interesting stories with me. And that's sort of why the, the podcast, it, you know, it's, I'm certainly no journalist and I'm not that important, but I always thought that other people kind of are and everybody has this story to tell. So I, I just always got to hear them. So why not everybody else? Well, thank you. I didn't know if I had a story, but you know, we filled some time and I thank you. And if I can repay you ever, let me know. And, and if I'm the one responsible for the death of this whole little thing, just don't tell me and I'll live happily in bliss. Simple no, as that. I won't let you know. I, I will let that kind of, you know, sail softly into the night. If, if it goes the wayside, whatever happened to that podcast, that was on. Well, I had Vic on. And it's <laughs> <that way. laughs> 
All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Secret Ingredient Podcast from Digital Sandwich, where we believe that everyone has a story behind the story, and that is where their secret ingredient lives. Join us next time. Thanks again to Vic. See ya. See ya.